and we'll, we'll just talk all about it, and then move on to the next one after that. Uh, this week, it's a perfect week to be here because we are launching into a new, a new series, a new four or five week uh, study, and, and we're calling it The Waiting Room. The Waiting Room. And basically, what we're going to look at is what happens when you have your life mapped out, you have certain expectations, but it doesn't go according to plan. And there's no way forward and there's no way out. You're just stuck. I mean, maybe it's, it's, it's marriage. You thought at this point in life, you'd be married by now. And, and for whatever reason, uh, that has not happened. Maybe you thought you'd still be married right now. And, and uh, no, it, it's not your fault. It's not your decision. But you find yourself no longer married anymore. Maybe you're, you are married and you thought... Man, I'm, I'm an easygoing guy. If you can't get along with me, you can't get along with anybody. And in your house right now, it is a war zone. And it is not the happy marriage that you expected. It's not the marriage that you always wanted. It's definitely not the marriage that you want your kids to have. But you know, it'd be tough to get out of, and so you're just, you're just still stuck. Maybe it's medical issues. And the doctor has said, you know... Uh, this is going to be. This is going to change life for the foreseeable future. Life is going to be different because of this diagnosis. Moving forward, your, your diet's going to have to change. You're, you're going to have to start sticking yourself with needles for this. You know, every day, those sorts of things. Life is just going to be different because of this diagnosis. And you have realized there's no way forward and there's no way out. I, I just feel stuck. I feel like I'm in the waiting room. And God. I'm just not even sure you're there. And if you are there, you definitely don't seem to care because I do not see you at work in this situation. I just feel like I'm stuck in the waiting room. God, what are you up to? There's no way forward and there's no way out. And I'm not sure you're there. I mean, you say you're there. I know, I know in my head you're there, but I just don't see you at work. Maybe it's kids. You thought by now you have kids. Or maybe you do have kids and, and they're not healthy. And you, you always expected that God would give you healthy kids, you know, two and a half kids like everybody else has. And everything would be good. Life would be good. That's just not your reality. And you're just wondering, God, are you there? Do you seem, you don't seem to care. I feel like I'm stuck in the, in the waiting room. There's no way forward. There's no way out. God, what are you up to? I had, this, I had, a, I had a set of dreams. I had a set of expectations. My life was mapped out. And God, if I'm just being honest, this was not part of the deal. This, whatever it is, was not part of it. And you sit here this morning and you're like, God, this is me. I, I, I'm in the waiting room. I am stuck in the waiting room. And, and I'm not sure what God is up to. Or if he's up to anything. Well, over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. What is God teaching us? What is God doing? What is going on when we're in the waiting room of life? And, and anybody can stand up here if you've been around any amount of time. You may not be there today, but you either just got out of it or it's coming for you very, very soon. We're all at times in this in our life, at times where we feel like we just don't know if we can go on anymore. We definitely are certain there's no way out. We're sitting there waiting in the waiting room of life. 
So what do you do when you're in that situation? Well, if you look at the New Testament, you look at the people in the New Testament, they, specifically the Apostle Paul, that's who we're going to look at today. This is specifically the Apostle Paul. He was no, uh, uh, he, he understood. He was no stranger to adversity. And he was no stranger to waiting rooms of life. And what we're going to look at, the text we're going to look at today, the, the Bible says that under the inspiration of the Holy, Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, he tells us that even in the waiting rooms of life, that we can have this word called contentment. Now, make no mistake, this is not apathy. This is completely different from apathy. Paul was anything but apathetic. If you remember when he came on the scene, his name was Saul. It was a completely different name. And his desire was to rid this world of this disease called Christianity. He was going to get rid of all of them that claimed the name of Christ. He was going to put them in jail or he was going to exterminate their life. Everybody was fair game when it came to Paul and Christianity. He wanted it gone. And then you know the, the story. He was on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus and everything changed. Now all of a sudden... Everybody needs to be a believer. Everybody needs to be a Christian. Paul lived in, the, in his life in the extremes. And so Paul says, even in the waiting rooms of life, even when the, the, the way that I have my life mapped out is not going according to plan, even when I don't understand what God's up to, if he's up to anything even, you can have contentment. But please don't mistake that for apathy. Paul knew nothing of apathy. You knew the you know the story. He met Christ and his desire was to, to see everybody know Christ, to win this world for Christ. And, and I would submit to you, I think I could make a pretty good argument that he did more for the, the sake of the gospel than anybody before or since outside of Jesus himself. He moved the gospel from a small area into the known world. Almost did it alone. He was a man on a mission. For 10 years, he was taking these missionary journeys. And in each city that he would come to, he would plant a church. He would share the gospel. People would come to know Christ. And then he would plant a church in that particular city. And after it was established, after roots started to go deep a little bit, he would move on to the next city and he would start over again. Winning people for Christ. Planting a city. I mean, planting a church. And then as that, the roots of their salvation, of, as their, of their growth began to, to go deeper into the soil, spiritually speaking, he would move on to the next city. He did this for 10 years. And he found himself arrested, extradited to Rome, under house arrest, and in the waiting room of life. It was at this time that Nero was the king, was the emperor. And if you know anything about Nero, you know it was not a good time to be in Rome and be a believer. Because Nero lit his gardens, lit the roads with Christians, put them on posts, set them on fire, and used them for light. It was not a good time to be a believer in the city of Rome and under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And it was during this time, during this waiting room of life, 
that Paul was unable to do exactly what he believed God had put him on this earth to do. To continue taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the people that had never heard. The truth that just this morning I took for granted. He was passionate about it. But he, here he was, he was under arrest. Under the, the thumb of Nero. Unable to do what he was put on this earth he believed to do. Yet still longing to do that very thing. And it was during this time, during this waiting room, that Paul sat down and began to write some letters. They're, they're, they're what we call today the prison epistles. I forgot for a few minutes. The, the prison epistles. And one of those letters, one of those epistles, is one of the, the letters that we're going to look at today. It's Philippians. And the, the four prison epistles that we know today, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I believe those are all off the top of my head. Those are the prison epistles. And it was during this time... During this waiting room of life, during this time that Paul thought, God, what are you up to? I, I gotta take this gospel, I gotta take this news to the world, and here I am stuck in prison and house arrest. What am I supposed to do? And he takes this time to sit down and to pen these letters. And he sends them off. One copy. One copy of this letter. He sends them off. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, they arrive. And then they began to be circulated. Among the, the known churches of the region. And eventually, they enter the canon of Scripture and are translated into multiple languages, read probably more than any other letter ever penned in literature. Paul could have never seen, could have never expected that God would take a waiting room of life. A time when he should have been out doing something else. He could have never thought that God would take that time in the letters that he wrote and preserve them for his word to be read thousands, millions, billions of times under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That all happened during a waiting room in Paul's life. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what waiting room you're either coming out of, you're in currently, or maybe you're going to be headed towards soon. But before we even jump into Scripture, understand this. God, even if it seems like He's absent, even if it seems like He's not at work, even if you want to go, God, I don't understand it. God is still at work and He still has a special plan. Orchestrating events in your life to bring Him glory. And for your good. You may say, Scott, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't say that. If I, could, if I could be standing up there, you'd say, I can share my story. And everybody would agree. There's nothing good that could come from that. And from our perspective, I would probably agree with you. But if Paul had made the same claim, sitting under the thumb of Nero so many years ago, I would have agreed with him too. And yet we know. That's simply not the case. So if you have your Bible, we're going to lay the groundwork for what we're going to build on over the next few weeks. The waiting rooms of life. When God seems like He's absent, 
He doesn't care. There's no way forward and there's no way out. What is God up to in the waiting rooms of life? If you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 10. Verse 10. Here we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now remember, Paul is under house arrest when he's writing, when he's pinning this. At the time, news did not travel nearly as quickly as it does today. We can pretty much get any news in real time. Simply was not reality for them back then. It took time for news to travel. Well, Paul is arrested, extradited to Rome, and put under house arrest. When that happens, it takes a bit of time for that news to get to Philippi and to the church there. When they find out, they decide they're going to put together a care package. And they're going to send it back to Paul. Well, when the news gets there, it takes time to get the news out to their, to their church. It takes time for those people to gather uh, uh, you know, materials to put to the care package. Thumb drives, you know, uh, computers, those sorts of things that Paul's going to need. It takes time to collect that, that stuff. So they go ahead and they collect it. And then they send it back. And it takes time for all of that care package to get from Philippi back to Paul in Rome. It's during that time that Paul is waiting in the waiting room of life, wondering what God is up to. He receives the package from the care package from Philippi, from the church in Philippi, from the Philippians, when he sits down to write this letter. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. I got your care package. Thank you. You were indeed concerned for me. You were always concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You didn't know the condition that I was in. You didn't know that I was in prison. It took time for that news to get to you. But when you did, you showed your care for me by sending some things that I needed. Thank you, Philippians. He continues. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Philippians, just remember... I'm not saying this because I was desperate. I didn't, I, I'm thankful for the care package. I'm thankful for the resources. But, but I was okay even if you never sent them. I was okay. Things were going to be okay. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I, it, this is not a natural condition, Philippians. This is not something that's easy. This is not something that everybody has. No, I have learned it. I studied it. I practiced it. I learned it. And now, I'm, be, I'm able to be content in every situation. To which I lean in a little, a little bit and go, Paul, I, I want to learn that too. Teach me what it means to, to learn. Teach me how I can learn that in whatever situation I am in, I can be content. Remember, I'm not talking about apathetic. He cared. Yet he still allowed the, the circumstances outside of him not to control the peace that was inside. He could, he could look at what was going on out of control, outside of his control. And it didn't make sense. But inside, he could sit there under house arrest and go... It's going to be all right. God is still in control. I have learned 
that I can be content. And I continue to raise my hand through the halls of history and go, Paul, teach me. How does that happen? Verse 12. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. I know what it means to to be poor. I know what it means to have less than I need. And I also know how to have more than I need. I know how to have an abundance. And I know how to be content in every situation. I know how to be in need and not really desire, do whatever it takes to get what I need, to be controlled by that need. I also know how to have more than enough and not to allow the the abundance of my resources to control me as well. I'm content in either situation. The, The conditions outside of me do not control the peace that's inside. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. That little term, that little phrase right there, learn the secret, is a cool little phrase in the original text. It's, it's, it's a, a word, it's, it's one word in the Greek, and it's only used two times in all of the Bible. And it, it's used in verse 11 when Paul uses secret, and then verse 12 where he says learn the secret. And it's a, a word that's not in Paul's normal vocabulary. He actually reaches out into culture and he grabs this word and he puts it in right here. And here's what the word means. I think it's so cool. It literally means this. I have been initiated into the secret society. In the culture, there were, there were different societies. There were different secret societies. And this is the word that was used during the initiation process. Maybe it's just me who thinks this is cool because I went to, North, to uh, school, went to college in North Carolina. And in close, in, in close proximity to where I went to school, Campbell University, there were three very good schools. Mine not being one of them, but nonetheless, there were three very good academic schools. Duke University in Durham, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and then North Carolina State in Raleigh. And it kind of made a triangle. That's why they call it the triangle or the triad. And in those schools, there was a lot of of rumors about secret societies in in these particular universities. And uh, I always was fascinated by it. And we would talk about it, and you'd hear rumors about the secret societies on each of these campuses. And the one that we heard the most about, maybe it's just because I'm a Tar Heel fan, but was on the University of North Carolina. And you'd hear rumors about the initiation process we found out actually where the house was located that, that housed this secret society. And on Friday evenings, we drive by it. It was, it was like back in the woods. And if, if the sun had gone down, you'd see the lights on. And we'd pull over. And we would dare each other to, to go up and try and ring the doorbell and run away without getting caught. Nobody ever had the guts to do that. <laughs> but this was a secret society. According to rumors, um, James Taylor, the, the, the musician, uh, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, are all members of this particular secret society. It was one of the, the most secret, one of the most uh, desired secret societies to be a part of. And now you know why. If the rumors are true. I should put that disclaimer there. <laughs> but it fascinated me in college to find out about those things. And Paul takes that same terminology. He takes that same language 
And he says, I have been initiated into the secret society of contentment. That's cool to me. I have been initiated into the secret society of contentment. I have been initiated into the secret society of contentment. I can look at wealth and I can look at poorness or being poor. I can look at marriage. I can look at singleness. I can look at health. I can look at sickness. I can look at want. I can look at having abundance. I can look at needing a job. I can look at a job that I love to death. I can look at every situation and I can be content in the situation that I'm in because I have been initiated into the secret society of contentment. I can have more than I'll ever need. I can have I can, I can, I can be in great need. And it doesn't matter. Because I've learned the secret of contentment. I'm a part of the group. The secret society. <clears throat> to which I read and I go, Paul, I asked you before and I'm going to ask you again. I'm leaning in even more. And I'm saying, Paul, tell me the, tell me the trick. How much money do I have to save? How, how many good deeds do I have to do? How much do I have to give away? What kind of job do I have to have? What's the secret? What do I need to do to get to that secret society? I'm willing to do it because I, I want that. I am desperate for that. If my, if my kids are sick, and I can, I, 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 it's out of my control, yet inside I can still have peace. If my kids are driving me crazy, if my, if my spouse, if my doctor, if my boss, if every situation I can look at and I can go... It's going to be all right because I'm content. It's going to be all right because I, I'm the, I'm in the society that can, the secret society that can look at this situation from God's perspective. The world may be out of control, but I can sit there, and my inside, my heart, my soul is at rest because I'm in the secret society of contentment. Paul. How do I do it? What do I have to do? And he tells us, thank goodness, he tells us in the very next verse. It's one of the most popular, misrepresented, misused verses in all of the New Testament. But Paul tells us how to face the waiting rooms of life and have a peace, have a contentment. He tells us, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Whoa, 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 Paul, you, it's, it's not making a certain amount of money? Nope. It, it's not having just a job that I love? Nope. It's not having kids that are healthy? Nope. It, it, it's not having in-laws that love me? Nope. It, it, it's not any of those things? No, Paul says. No. The, the secret to contentment is this, that my strength is found in Christ. In every situation, my strength is found in Christ. And I can, I can face anything. I can climb any mountain. 
Because my strength is found in Christ. I can just imagine Paul is up there and he's looking at all the, these baseball caps that have Philippians 4.13. And he's going, baseball cap? That's all you've got? I mean, I was, I was, in, I was facing death. I was in prison. My life was out of control, and I learned the secret of contentment, and it was found in the strength of Christ. And all you've got is to put that on a baseball cap? Come on now. It's the greatest verse for contentment. And it's making the assumption that you know Christ, you to be, to be a part of the secret society of contentment. To find your strength in Christ, you have to have, to have to have a relationship with Him. It's simply understood when Paul pins this verse. So if you don't know Christ, there, you, have, you do not have the power. You simply do not have the power to be content, to face every, every, every situation. And go, it's going to be all right. God is in control. He is on his throne. He will be tomorrow. I'm going to walk through this situation because I have the strength of Christ living in me and through me. That's what it means to be a part of the secret society of contentment. I was in first grade when our family walked through our first and probably most dramatic waiting room. My, my dad was on staff at a church right down the road in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, the pastor, the new pastor of the church, called my dad and my mom into his office and said, you've got 24 hours to be out of here. Your job here at this church is over. They, as you can imagine, that rocked their world pretty good. They went back home, picked me and my brother up from our from the babysitter. I was in about first grade. I don't know if I said that already. Um, and my dad picked me up. My mom could not face the church again. She was at the time. She was too hurt. So she picked up my brother and went home. My dad picked uh, picked me up and took me to church to unpack his office. I'm sorry, to pack up his office and to get it into his car and get it back home. I remember distinctly, my dad parked in the back of the, of the building. He was in the Family Life Center. He parked behind there. We propped open the door. It was October, so there was a cool breeze blowing in. And my dad would take the books off the shelf, put them in a box, put them on a cart, and then it was my job to roll the cart to the door, at which time my dad would uh, get the box off the cart, put them in the car. It was a long day. And we expected this, this waiting room of life to... The last a couple months, maybe three months at the most, before my dad would move on to another church, before God would open the door to serve in another church. But week after week, month after month, no doors opened. In fact, it was 24 months, two years before my dad would find another church to serve in. And during those 24 months of life, my dad mowed yards to make ends meet. Now, I'm not talking owning the company. I'm talking working for $7 an hour for somebody that owns the company. 
And I'll never forget a story that he told me. Um, they were in a nice area of Tulsa one day. They were, they were cutting grass. My dad was coming around the corner. I'm guessing the lawnmower was off. But he was coming around the corner and he heard a, a mom talking to her son. I'm guessing young teenage son. My dad coming around the corner and he heard the mom say this. Son, you see those two guys? That's the reason that I want you to stay in school. So you don't have to do that for the rest of your life. Now, just as a side note, between the two men that were cutting the grass, there were three masters and a doctorate degree. But that didn't matter to God because God had placed both of them, but from my perspective, my dad, in this waiting room of life to teach him something. And here's what I, I'm sure he taught my mom and my dad a lot of things, but let me tell you what he taught me and my brother. We always knew as a teenager, as a rebellious teenager, as a college student, growing into adulthood, the one thing that we always knew, always knew was this. Going to church, being faithful, was not about a paycheck. My parents believed what they taught. And if there was any doubt in my mind, if there was any doubt in my brother's mind, all we had to do was go back and remember those two years as a young child. And what my parents taught us, the way they lived, the faith they showed during the waiting room time of life, when there was no way forward and there was no way out, had a distinct impression on my life. God used a lot of things to lead me to where I am today, but probably at the top was my parents' faithfulness during this two-year waiting room of joblessness. And the attitude and the faith that they showed day after day, rejection after Rejection. They believed what they taught us. And we saw it. From the front row. So moms and dads, I don't really know where you're at. But if you're in a waiting room this morning, you have the ability, if you know Christ, to be content in whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation is. It's because it's, it's not your strength. It's not your resolve. It's Christ living through you. That gives you the power, that gives you the, the strength to face any and every circumstance. And mom and dad, you may never know the impression this waiting room has on your kids. The way that you approach it, the grace that you walk through it with, I promise you, your kids are watching. And if you think you can get through it in your own strength, if you think you can get through it being content on your own, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the secret society of contentment is found in one place, and that's the strength of Christ. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to share 
Next week in particular, we're going to build on this on this foundation of contentment. Next week, I'm going to share with you a truth from Scripture that my aunt showed me while she was walking towards death just a few short years ago. She had been diagnosed with cancer. I'll get into the story next week. But she, she taught me a truth that I will never forget when it comes to the waiting rooms of life and what God desires to teach you in it, through it, and on the other side of it. And so you don't want to miss next week when I share with you this truth that my aunt taught me while battling cancer. Let's pray. Father, this morning, there are some people that are in the waiting rooms of life in here. There seems like there's no way forward and there's no way out. But your word has shown us that we can be content. We can be initiated into the society, the secret society of contentment. And the way that is done is allowing God's strength, your your son's strength, Christ's strength, to live in and through us. I pray that would be a reality in each and every life this morning. In Jesus' name.